This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game. And welcome everyone to the most listened to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana under the dome. With yours truly, the famous CD, coming to you live, as we always do, each and every Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. We're geared up for two hours of absolutely dynamite radio. And again, we are coming to you live, as always, from the Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good! Simply put, we are looking good, feeling good, and we are Acadiana's number one sports station and if we're the best sports station in all the land, then we got one thing to say about that. Then I gotta be the best of them all. That just cut and dried. I'm the best. Whether you like it or not, you're looking at woo, the greatest, the best looking man, the best dressed man, long limousines, jet airplanes, custom made clothes, and any woman in the world I want. Just like that. And we are Glad to be with you, however you're listening. Of course, you can be listening in through the old school FM dial. You can be listening in through a free mobile app. I'd recommend you download that bad boy, iOS, Android, however you do so. If you got a Windows phone, I think you might be out of luck. It, then again, who has a Windows phone in 2020? That's a different question for a different day. And trust me, you can be listening from anywhere in the world. And we appreciate you listening in. Heck, I've had listeners from Russia in the past, but guess what? We're going to have a lot of fun over the next two hours. Only two guests in the show. That means one thing. The game hotline, it is pretty much wide open for much of the show. So if you want to get your shots up, you got plenty of opportunities to do so. And that is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. You dial us up. I'll get you in on the conversation. And usually I jump around a bunch of different topics. But I want to get down to the nitty gritty of what is causing all of this. And without a doubt, everybody's been talking about what's going on with the Sunbelt Conference and Conference USA. The CUSA and the SBC. The rumor innuendo that people have started to throw out. Has been, let's put these two together. Let's merge them. Let's do a little fusion dance and put the Sunbelt Conference and the Conference USA together as one. I like the idea, but as always, I think I can do things a lot better from a certain perspective. And of course, you know, LaTeX AD kind of just said, shut that thing down right now, not even close. There's no conversation of it. We don't, we think, we don't want we don't think that we want to soup as low 
as merging with Sunbelt Conference because they think Conference USA is better because they've got more teams in their conference. Hey, my LaTeX, spoiler your conference ain't that damn good. That's an absolute undisputed fact. Your team, your teams in there, up and down, they're okay. They're fine. You look up and down that lineup. La Tech, maybe one of the better ones. North Texas, they used to be good. FIU, FAU, the second a lot of those Sunbelt Conference teams went there, those were your lower tier Sunbelt Conference teams. It made them look a lot bigger on paper. But at the end of the day, it makes them not look as great as you want to say that you treat them like it's the great and powerful Oz. Whenever Conference USA ain't exactly what it used to be. And I'd say the Sunbelt Conference because of the fact that they added a lot of great talent up and down that conference made it better. Of course, Texas State not withholding, but App State alone, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, eh, at least in basketball, but in a football standpoint, strictly a football perspective, Sunbelt's better than, than the CUSA. American Athletic, better than the Sunbelt. That's where I look at it. That's the tier list there. And there's levels to these things. And America, the, the athletic, American Athletic Conference is way better than the Sunbelt. But at the same time, Sunbelt's way better than Conference USA. Mountain West has Boise State and really kind of nobody else that really kind of pops out at on the off the paper. App State, Arkansas State, Cajuns, Georgia Southern. Those those programs alone have already kind of made have made a lot of waves over the last five years in this new Sun Belt. Now that some of the riffraff of North Texas, the Mean Green, were damn good back in the gap, but they're not as great anymore. And the fact it's so watered down because you've got like I think fourteen teams in that conference, that is way too much for a Group of Five conference to be truly sustainable and be relevant. At least, again, strictly a football perspective. But the idea of all this made me think about how you could do this better. And I've got a big idea. And I just want to spend the bulk of the first half hour on here. So if you don't mind, you might want to take some notes in terms of what my idea would be about how the NCAA goes about realigning, and I mean realigning everything. I think it's time to realign everything to fit a certain mold and the mold that I want it to be in because at the end of the day, I think division three might be going away because you just think about it. Those might be the programs that get shut down the quickest because again, we're talking about a post COVID-19 world where we're not putting as much emphasis on traveling long distances. That's my first thing. Now, when it comes to how this whole thing's set up, I want to say there's going to be a lot of fun with this. So we, we start things off, and me and Cody Shoots, Whitney Hunter, no longer with the station, we talked about this back in 2016. We dove into it, and I'm going to take some of those ideas and also improve them and fine-tune them to a certain extent. First things first, it is going to be all regional. It's going to be a regional setup. You have the West Coast, the South, and I'll get to that in a, in a few, North and East Coast. That's how we're going to do it. That just feels like it is the right way to go about it if you're going to be setting up a future like world. And it's, again, Power 4 and the Group of 4 now. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So basically, we're going to have three tiers 
in this system that I have in place. And I'll get to why I have three tiers in the next segment, but I'm going to get to how this whole thing sets up and how it all works out. You've got group of four, the power four, and the FCS. Because I think the FCS still has some sustainability. And don't be surprised if some of these like teams that are in those group of five schools under the old contract, old construct, those teams might be moving away from FBS and move down to this FCS or whatever you want to call it. Because I think you have a power four, group of four, and you can call them the FCS if you wanted to. I don't know. I, again, I am not here to tell you how it's going to look, but I can tell you an idea of how everything is going to work out. Of course, this is all if I'm the czar of college football. So for starters, the Pac-12 remains as is. Because I think they've got the construct right. It's all relative to the West Coast. A lot of these teams, it fits. It fits very, very well. And I'll also add in Boise State because of a reason I'll explain later in the show. And I think that's absolutely huge. Now we move to the South. And we merge two conferences at least somewhat. Big 12 and the SEC become a new super conference. For hypothetical purposes, I'm calling the Big SEC. And this includes Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Kansas, Missouri, and Mississippi schools. We take out the entire SEC East, we move that away, and we go to, and we take out the West Virginia as well. We move them over, and we'll get to them in a little bit. So with those teams gone, that sets up a big SEC where you have probably a lot of the top flight programs in the country all in there. That is some big money, and I'd love to see Big 12 offense and see how Big 12 would adapt to this and really change the way SEC SEC football is possibly played. I'd love to see that kind of stuff and see how the mixture of Big 12 and SEC, the merging of those two, could change the way college football is. And then we go to the ACC, and it retains the name. It's a location just like the Pac-12. And I think there's a way to go about it. I'm going to go with a cutoff line here. I'm going to go with Virginia as your cutoff line for the ACC. So you've got West Virginia, Virginia Tech. That is where I draw the line in terms of where the ACC's top is and go down to the bottom in the state of Florida. But looks like we got some calls on the game hotline. Let's see who it is. What's going on? Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. What you want to get on? get in on? Well, you talked about the Sunbelt and the Ancusa, and you were saying that um, Sunbelt has much better football teams than Cusa, and I'm kind of like, I don't know about that. I would. That's kind of a 50-50, because I can't really think of that many really good Sunbelt football teams, in all honesty. I mean, you think, yeah, but can you, think, can you name, like, as, like, more in terms of the Conference USA and how they have things, because I think outside of, like, La Tech, I, off top, I can't think of anybody else that truly is "quote unquote" good and makes the conference look a lot better. And, and again, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact now it's become a watered down conference since they added those multiple Sun Belt, added added a lot of those like Sun Belt schools that were kind of kind of floundering a little bit, with, like FIU and FAU and even North Texas, which has kind of taken a dip in recent years. Is Marshall still part? Is Marshall Marshall's no longer? part of that conference, huh? Marshall's part of the Q- Conference USA. Uh, Marshall used to be pretty decent at one point in time. Um, Tulane, Tulane 
not awesome, but they're okay. They're well, they, well, they're, 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 in, the, they're in the athletic now. They're in the American athletic. Oh, they moved. Yeah, okay, they moved. They moved. Okay. So, so you yeah, got, so, so I would I'm, say. I'm going to run through it real quick for you. UAB, Florida Atlantic, Florida International, La Tech, Marshall, Middle Tennessee, University of North Carolina at Charlotte, North Texas, Old Dominion, Rice, Southern Miss, UTEP, UTSA, and Western Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, you've got maybe two or three decent teams in that whole conference. Um, Southern Miss average, I guess, at best. UTEP average, you know. Is um wasn't didn't UTEP have a LSU a, a former LSU assistant that was their head coach at one point? That that was UTSA. That's Frank Wilson now at oh, McNeese. That was UTSA. Yeah, now now Frank Wilson's at McNeese State. Okay, I like him. He's a good coach. He's he's a damn good coach. We had him on back in January. I can't wait to have him on again. Hopefully, we do have a college football season. But th- thanks for coming on, man. Have a good one. All right, I like that conversation. Again, I think Conference USA and the Sun Belt Conference, there's a there's a divide between the two. But as I said, I'd like to have the ACC be from Virginia to Florida, all those programs kind of in that in that same vein. And when it comes down to it, I like that setup. But then you have the Big Ten. That becomes the Empire Conference. That's all your northern schools. That's your Big Ten. I add Syracuse in that list. There's a lot of other programs I'd like to see in there. And of course, I'd probably I'd probably force Notre Dame to join one of these programs, preferably. I'd probably put him in the Empire Conference. Honestly, I'd love to see all that set up. I, there's gonna be no more independence in my world. There's no independence where we're gonna be having that kind of mess. And the Group of Five will now become the Group of Four in a similar kind of place. Mountain West will. Take, we'll add Arizona in place of Boise State. Again, we're getting to why I'm doing that in a little bit. And then you, Sunbelt Conference and Conference USA, they merge, but only in those areas like you've got, and it's also going to add some Amer- American athletic conferences like Tulane, like La Tech, like Tulsa. And there's a reason why. And I think it's, it's just the fact that you can have all those programs set up in those same relative point of views, where you can have a lot of fun setting these kind of things up, setting up all these hypotheticals in the Sunbelt Conference and QSA merger, where it's basically, I'd say, the Deep South. The Deep South Conference, the DSC. I would love to see that kind of setup. And then the American Athletic becomes the Atlantic Athletic and takes in like UCF, USF, FIU, FAU, and again, goes up to Virginia. And then the CUSA name, Conference USA, moves o- transfers over to the Northern Conferences, where you get a lot of different teams, like a UMass. All these teams start merging together in this giant conference. And again, it may seem like a lot on paper, because you've got a lot, like Conference USA, for instance, is 14 teams. Sunbelt has 10 right now in football. I think you can say right here, right now, in this post-COVID-19 world, there are some programs that might want to drop down to FCS if they had the opportunity to, one, be sustainable in the future in terms of moving down to that level. And that's why the FCS will be a similar setup. You'll see a lot of those programs set up shop in a lower level, in that lower tier, just to kind of remain sustainable and also just remain, because I think that's definitely the big thing. But we're going to go ahead and take a time out. When we come back, we got a whole lot more to get to about this at 10.30. Kara Ritchie joining the program to talk a little bit about 
the Sun Belt and the Conference USA merger rumor and innuendo and everything in between with that. What's going on? And the Sun Belt Conference released their bull. I can't, it was like the way it was organized was weird. But we'll talk to her about that and a whole lot more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We'll be back after this. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Hey, welcome back. We're keeping it rolling on in terms of the conversation about what the future of college football could like if you wanted to go the super conference route and reduce it from five to four, you see a lot of merging and moving around, moving and shaking, but I think it's going to work. Now, how would this whole setup be over the course of a 2021 season? Let's say hypothetically, this starts in 2021 and we see a super conference move to the setup. Here's how you do it. You remain a 12 game schedule. And here's how you have to schedule it. Two FCS, two power four, two group of four conferences, and then the rest of your schedule. And of course, if you're the group of four, it's going to be FCS. You got your P5, your P4, and then you've got your conference opponents. That's how you set it up. And obviously you can mix and match and do what we've seen in the past where we got like Cajuns playing Mizzou in November. And that's kind of where things are right now, and I think it's it's a perfect setup. Have a twelve; it remains a twelve team schedule. Everything sets up perfectly, and then we move on over to what happens next with that schedule. How do you set up a playoff? Honestly, we move away from the playoff committee, and we, sort of we kind of go the way where top four seeds get in, but those four seeds they punch their ticket by winning a conference championship. That sets up a playoff for the Power Five, Power Four, the Group of Four, and the FCS. The FCS can kind of stay with their playoff format if they wanted to. I, Whatever they want to do, that's them. Because I don't know how many is going to fit into the FCS after things kind of do. I wouldn't be surprised if some FCS programs do go away, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But that's how I have it set up. You have a playoff system, and the conference champions, they advance to the to the playoff. It's simple as that. I, I think that's the perfect way to go about it. Of course, the committee can seed it however they want because obviously you'd have a case where maybe the big SEC one year will have the number one seed or maybe the Empire Conference. There's a, there's a lot of different things to go about when it comes to formulating it. And again, you have a perfect setup to where you can have a playoff with four, which I think is the ideal setup, and move forward in a great direction. And that makes sense. And you can have that for the power for the group of four and the FCS. The group of four would no longer have to complain about it. They could be the group of four or whatever you want to kind of put it to because you can kind of create different tiers and create different leagues, if you will. You can create multiple conferences and have them square off in a playoff format. And that'll set it up. And why did I bring up league? Because I might be able to throw together the most controversial point of this entire thing. 337 706 if you want to get in on the conversation. 
And that is the sheer fact that I think the NCAA in this current construct with the Power 4, Group of 4, FCS, moves to a system of promotion and relegation. Yes, you heard me right. The top two from each conference in the FCS and FBS levels, or excuse me, the FCS, I'm just calling it that to keep it easy, in the Group of 4, they'll move up to their respective conferences. Like Group of 4 moves up to Power 4. Then the FCS team moves up to the Group of 4. The bottom two will drop down. Will drop down to the uh, the group of four or the FCS level. That's how I have it set up because I think promotion and relegation could be the best thing for college football. Why? Because I think they'd be a hell of a lot of fun to see, let's say hypothetically, and again, that's why I wanted to put Boise State and Arizona. Arizona always feels like a team that just does not quite belong in the Pac-12, never really competes in a big way outside of basketball, but we're just looking at this strictly from a football standpoint because without football, I think this entire thing falls apart because of the fact that there's so many different things that happen in basketball and baseball that can make this a big pain in the tuchus. But I think if you have it set up, and again, I brought up the 12-game schedule. This is a big reason why I brought up a 12-game schedule and the way it was set up. Because the FCS, the Group of Four, and the Power Four, they'll all be correlated. So in the let's let's bring let's go back to the Big SEC, the Big 12, and the SEC. That Big 12 SEC merger becomes a conference. The Sun Belt, in its new form, is right underneath there. And then let's let's call it the Southland. Let's just use the Southland Conference as an example. They would become the Bottom tier for that. It'd be like how you have it in the Premier League, in La Liga, Bundesliga, everywhere in soccer. I think soccer has something great in terms of the setup where we can actually have a great conversation about promotion and relegation, how you can make that work in the construct of college football. It's something different, something revolutionary, and I think it's a cool idea to at least ponder over the next several years and probably try and do something like that. I'm honestly all the way looking forward to it. Hopefully, you want to be part of that conversation as well. And we got a guest coming up in just a few, but if you want to get in on the conversation, we'll have the lines back open after our next segment to talk a lot about what's going on with the after we talk some Sunbelt Conference and Conference USA. I'm probably diving into a lot of different other stuff, but if you want to double back to the idea of promotion and relegation in professional sports or college sports in America, let me know because I've got a lot of stuff to talk about that. I'm also going to give you a little preview of the Cajun Strong Style podcast. It's debuting this Monday at 1 o'clock on 1037thegame.com and also Audio Mac, everything in between, where we have a clip from the first episode that we're going to drop for you towards the end of hour number one, then also hour number two we're bringing on Jeff Horchak, bringing on Papa Horchak from Funro. We're going to talk to him about the late, great Mike Barra, talk about that. And also, I think we're also going to probably talk just a lot of different stuff because obviously I want to get his thoughts on what it's been like being in the city of Monroe for a year and comparing and contrasting those two cities, Monroe and Lafayette, the places he spent a good bit of time with KLFY. So we're going to talk to him about that on a whole lot more. Hour number two is going to be a lot of fun as well. Fave 5, we're bringing that back this week. 
more on a baseball front, but hopefully you just keep it locked right here. We're going to bring on Kara Ritchie. She's joined the program, talking a little Sunbelt Conference and also some com- and also the Conference USA merger. Who knows what else we're going to get into over the next segment. We're going to take a quick time out. Be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. trying times the world famous cd follows the simple words of matthew mcconaughey you just gotta keep living man l-i-v-i-n so let's kick back and enjoy under the dome on 1037 the game it'd be a lot cooler if you did and welcome back to under the dome with cd on 1037 the game at 1037 thegamecom hopefully every great saturday morning and now we're going to flip it on over. We're going to continue some of the discussion about college football as a whole to see how things could be changing and what things are kind of remaining the same when it comes to the Sun Belt Conference. And to do that, we've got to get over to the game hotline to talk to our good friend Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on 95, 95.3, the ticket in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Kara, how's it going? Hey, great day here in Jonesboro. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, you know, definitely kind of start, I think I'm starting to get used to the idea of like sports kind of slowly, but surely coming back here. What about you? It feels like now we're starting to get a lot more confident in college football, the NFL, baseball, and eh, not so much, but we'll probably get to that, kick that can a little bit down the road later. But how are you feeling about the confidence of like college football coming back? I have a lot of confidence in college football because mainly for the fact that by the time it is, you know, September the 5th, which is when the bulk of the country is going to kick things off. We should already have seen multiple sports leagues that have restarted. Uh, with uh, Definitely, I feel confident by that point in time, we'll see the NHL in action, definitely the NBA, plus numerous sports leagues around the world. And so college football is going to be able to have a game plan about how to go about restarting things safely and being able to put the health of the student-athletes first. And so I, every, every couple of days, I, I get a little bit more confident that once you know September the 5th rolls around, that we're going to be good to go. Yeah, I mean, I'm just seeing this moments ago. This is coming from Stan Stegel talking about the MLS. They've approved a return-to-play plan for games in Orlando, Florida. So there's going to be a lot more details about that coming up soon. But, I mean, again, that's another step in the direction to where we see the NCAA, probably in the not-too-distant future, announce how their plan is going to look. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Again, there's just – more and more data that they'll be able to have by September to be able to implement uh, good game plans and uh, be able to figure it all out and keep the players safe. I still am not sure how exactly being able to get crowds uh, going is going to work because there's a lot of questions there about not just how you get people in and out, but you know what happens when everybody has to go to the bathroom, what happens with the concession lines, things like that. It's going to be tough with social distance, but at the same time, who knows where we're going to be in terms of the pandemic in in September? Things change every single day, so right now I'm just gonna I'm gonna be cautiously optimistic about what we'll get to see in a few months. I think that's kind of where we all are, Kara. And at the end of the day, I think we're starting to see us get baby steps towards that. But of course, the biggest thing everybody's been talking about, I believe, since like last Thursday or Friday, we saw a column come out saying about how Conference USA and the Sun Belt 
merger. It's becoming inevitable. We hear that conversation. LaTex AD shot that thing down pretty darn quick. But man, I, it's wild to think that like LaTex and them think that the Conference USA is far superior to the Sunbelt Conference. I got a lot of thoughts on this, Clint. Fire <laughs> away. Fire away. Enough, I don't know if we have enough time. We've, um, we've got about like 23 minutes before we hit the, hit the top of the hour, so go ahead. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to take that long. I hope it's not going to take that long, although I think on my show yesterday that, that is about how long it took. But uh, but if, if it's a time warp, if we're talking about from 2014, 2015, during that time period when both Conference USA and the Sun Belt underwent, you know, some pretty big upheaval and there were a lot of teams moving in and out, then then Tommy McMillan's right. The Conference USA is a better league and it's a better brand. But but college athletics is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And for some college football programs, 2014 and 2015 was, was a coach or two coaches ago. So it's it's not the same today, and there's numerous reasons for that. And we'll start with the big one right off the flip, and that's money. Uh, in 2016 is when Conference USA's media rights or television contract expired. They were getting paid uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 million, which then they d- distributed to their 14 member institutions uh, from their TV deal. And it dropped in 2016. The next contract they signed was for 2.8 million dollars. So you're talking about a massive revenue decrease across the board. Additionally, while the Sunbelt Conference plays its games on the ESPN family of networks, getting midweek televised games on ESPN2, ESPNU, and the Conference Championship on ESPN, where are Conference USA games aired? The BN Network? I don't have that channel. Stadium? Where do you watch that? Facebook? I mean, I have that, but I don't want to watch a football game on it. Uh, additionally, their conference championship is played on the CBS Sports Network, which is in 30 million fewer homes than ESPN. On top of that, of course, you've got the geography mess. I mean, from from UTEP to Old Dominion is, what, 1,900 miles? I mean, have fun on that bus trip. Nobody wants to do that. So you've got multiple reasons why his case no longer holds water as to the strength of Conference USA over the Sun Belt. And I didn't even get into the, to competition. The Sun Belt had the leg up on that last year. Uh, they had a winning record against um, at a conference a group of five opponents, which is not what Conference USA could say. Uh, there were four Power Five wins last year in the Sun Belt to just two for Conference USA. I'm leaving out stuff somewhere in there, but that's kind of the gist of, of why Tommy McClellan is, is a little bit off base about the strength of Conference USA to say. There's still some great individual brands in the league. But it's it's not what it was, and especially now that the money has decreased, it's it's not a league that anyone is clamoring to join at this point in time. I'd wholeheartedly agree with that. Talk right now with Kara Ritchie, part of the Workday Red Zone on 95.3 The Ticket, and we talk about it all the time. I brought it up earlier in the show is the fact that I think you can move towards kind of Xena merger-esque of the setup. And to me, I think ideally you take all, all of the teams out of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, and you'd have a pretty damn good conference if you were to merge like a super conference-type setup. See, I, I don't know if I agree with you on that because I've seen so many write-ups about you know how the leagues would merge and then reform, and they always have it in this nice, happy scenario where you take the 10 teams out of the Sun Belt, you take the 14 teams out of the Conference USA, and then you split back up into two nice, happy, evenly divided 12-team leagues. And that's 
bowl uh, for the simple fact that conference realignment has never been easy. It's never been fair. Uh, and, and it never works out like that where everybody is happy. There's going to be teams left out. I mean, I'm sorry, UTEP. Uh, nothing against you, but you're just in a bad place geographically to realign with schools that are predominantly in, in the southeast. That's a tough sell. Uh, the Florida schools aren't necessarily easy to get to. And then you add in the fact that apparently Louisiana Tech just doesn't want to play nice. In in what world are we going to end up with two perfectly formed uh, 12-team conferences? It's not going to happen. Uh, so the question is now, you know, is there any movement whatsoever? And one of the things I have not seen discussed is what the exit fee is for these conferences. So say, for example, Southern Miss decides that it's tired of going to Old Dominion and UTEP, and the money's exactly the same in the Sun Belt as far as media rights, so why not have some shorter bus trips? I don't know what their exit fee is, because there is going to be a cost to leave a league. And if you're talking about dissolving two leagues, uh, there has to be you know, some percentage of ADs and presidents that would agree to that. And if it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 75%, I, I don't know how that's going to work. So it sounds awesome on paper. And don't get me wrong, it is amazing to speculate when you have a radio show to do and there's not any sports to talk about. But in terms of real life making it happen, there's some huge questions out there that haven't been addressed. I mean, again, again for me, it's just the fact that we bring up how – you brought up UTEP and Old Dominion. You look at the same kind of vein where two of the where two of the Sun Belt Conference teams are North. You got them, uh, App State and Coastal Carolina, both in North Carolina, South Carolina. That's about a twelve hour, almost a thirteen hour drive. Sure. That's eight hundred and sixty six miles from here in the heart of Cajun Country all the way to Boone, North Carolina. So I, I'm thinking about it in the sense of if you want to go in this post COVID nineteen world and you want to kind of minimize the amount of travel that you have, this might be the best-case scenario. Oh, it absolutely is from a travel standpoint. And, you know, when you hear some ADs talk about this differently, for example, Arkansas State AD Terry Mahajer has been very vocal about the fact that if you really are trying to make uh, the best experience for your student-athletes, you don't have them on 1,200-mile bus trips. You don't have them in situations where they're missing multiple days of classes due to travel. And I have no doubt he has some peer IDs, peer ADs that think that way as well, uh, but he is just the most vocal about it. But again, at the same time, the big hurdles remain as far as you know breaking down these conferences and building up new ones. So I wonder, you know, now it becomes more of a scheduling question. Do we see um, less conference games from teams so that that they can schedule more uh, geographically close opponents? Um, what happens with that? I, I don't know if anything's going to change in the near future from a conference perspective, but I think we'll see some schedules look different, you know, particularly with basketball, even as, as soon as this upcoming season. Talk right now with Kara Ritchie, 95.3, the ticket host of Workday Red Zone. And obviously, you know, you've been having to do radio over the last several months without sports. What has that been like for y'all over in Jonesboro? I like to think they've gone good, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, there's been some dumb points. <laughs> you know, you just, uh, a lot of reminiscing, uh, a lot of what ifs and speculation, because that's all you can do. You know, you reach out to coaches, of course, and try and see how it impacts their, their, um, their, their teams, their programs, how their players are doing. Of course, you also try and, uh, you talk a lot about recruiting because the way that coaches are having to get creative right now is, is kind of neat, actually. Uh, you know, I did talk to A-State offensive coordinator Keith Heckendorf and ask him, you know, how has this made you a better coach? 
And he said, you know, just you just have to be creative in ways that you never have before. And it's the same way in in radio life. You gotta you gotta dig a little deeper. Maybe talk about some things you normally wouldn't, but uh, just find a way to make it work. Exactly. I think that's definitely kind of the biggest thing, Kara, is trying to figure out how to make this all work and how to make this still an entertaining place and dare I say, kind of a safe haven from all the all the negativity that we're seeing in the, in the new in the news world, especially when it comes to COVID nineteen and everything else going on in the world. It's almost like we're trying to create a safe space where we can talk about all the fun stuff and we get to reminisce and look back to the way things used to be and potential with football, baseball, basketball. And that's where I want to kind of end off because you're a Cards fan. And the MLB right now, it is in like a almost Civil War-esque standoff. And like, what do you think is the likelihood of MLB even playing this year? Yeah, well, it gets lower every day, unfortunately. It's just turned into a, a giant mess. And the longer it plays out, you know, just the, the, the less confident I get in, in seeing any games because it's gotten ugly because it's gotten very public. Uh, you know, you see... And, and, and not even, you know, nobody from the ownership side of it is speaking out on social media, but the players are. And now we see players uh, getting into with former players and things like that. And it's just, it's just turned into such a mess. And it's really hard to pick a side when you have millionaires fighting with billionaires. And there are, I don't know how many million people out of work, 30 million people out of work in our country. Uh, so it's just a big mess where everyone loses. If baseball doesn't get it together and, and get this taken care of, it will irreparably damage the sport, and there will be no coming back in our generation. Exactly. I think that's definitely the biggest thing that I've, I've noticed is I think this is going to be a big turning point in whether or not the MLB can stay at even, some, even the form of popularity it is in now because I think with some of the talk about – the the sliding pay scale on players not liking it, that alone is kind of ticking some people off who maybe are the casual fans who probably watch around the playoff, around like the months of September to October and don't necessarily deal with the 162-game slog. If you don't have a season, I feel like not even like a Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire-esque like resurgence of the of the home run ball could save this, save this league. No, no, because... There's, baseball's kind of facing two issues right now, um, and and I've, baseball was in trouble before this for the simple fact that it's a greedy league, uh, like so many are. I mean, let's be honest; these leagues exist to make money, not necessarily to entertain us. They exist to make money for their owners, and baseball's been in a, been in a mess for a while because it is so married to cable, and younger people are no longer getting cable. I don't have cable. I cut the cord forever ago, and I don't miss it. It's too expensive, and it's that way for a lot of people. So you're already losing uh, numerous people who are, you know, in their early 20s who are just getting out and and establishing their homes and and whatever. They're not getting cable. They're not watching these games. And now you're about to tick off your older fan base because you can't get it together and get on the field. Who's still going to be watching next year if there's a lost season? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't even know if I'll be. And I, I love that game. I mean, MLB is, is my sport more than any other, and it kind of breaks my heart right now. Uh, same here, Kara. Thankfully, you know, we've been able to listen to some of these old games, especially here at 1037, the game we've been airing a bunch of old Astros games from everywhere from like last season all the way back to the very first season, which was just wild to listen to and hear like crisp audio quality yeah. from like games in 1965. 
Yeah, we've done uh, we've done the same on ninety five three to ticket. You know, we've had some Cardinal classics. We've also played some A State classics. Uh, but like some of the Cardinal classics, you know, nineteen eighty five go crazy folks, things like that. Of course, I think I think we've played like the two thousand eleven World Series game six game, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of six times. But you know what? It's one of those that just never ever seems to get old. Uh, when David Freeze hits that walk off, I mean, I could if, if I had to pick, you know, one game to listen to for the rest of my life, that might be it. I'd have to agree with that one, Kara. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Hopefully, we get closer to college football season. I know we won't have media days, we won't have the fade odo, but I think we'll be talking to you down the road. Hey, I hope so. Thanks for having me on, Clint. Appreciate it. All right, that was Kara Ritchie. You can follow her on Twitter at Kara underscore Ritchie. We're gonna go ahead and take a quick timeout. Had a little fun. But coming up next, we're previewing the Cajun Strong Style podcast debut. It's coming out Monday at 1 o'clock. I'll give you a little sound, a little bit of sound from that podcast. Maybe I'll start off the 11 o'clock hour. She brought up Go Crazy, folks. You kind of know where I'm going with it to start off the second hour of Under the Dome. Be, be back after this, 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. From the octagon to the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between. The world famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. And welcome back. Hour number one. We're getting ready to wrap things up in a nice little bow. But, of course, you hear that. You heard the promo just a minute ago, and that is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. It is starting up Monday, a podcast strictly devoted to the sport of professional wrestling, and I am absolutely looking forward to the debut episode. And a big reason why is because of the fact we landed a guest, and it's a guest I was absolutely over the moon to get. I shot my shot, and that is Chikara star and founder of the promotion, Mike Quackenbush. And we talked a lot about different things, how they've been able to handle COVID-19, cinematic matches, and everything in between. And I love this take from him when I talk, when we mentioned those cinematic matches like we saw last Saturday during Double or Nothing with the stadium stampede. And I think if you heard some of the thoughts from a Jim Cornette of the world, you might want to hear this perspective as well. Well, it may kind of be like it's an offshoot in and of itself. It's not unlike when a musical genre subdivides. Um, and I think that that might be the case here. You might be seeing pro wrestling, which I think is already subdivided into sports entertainment. I think sports entertainment is its own subgenre. It prioritizes what the end television product looks like over prioritizing the experience of the live fan in the house. Maybe we are seeing yet another subdivision, which is what that looks like in the complete absence of a live audience. This might be sports entertainment's manifest destiny creeping onto our screens right now and i love the way that ended pro wrestling's manifest destiny i in sports entertainment's manifest destiny in terms of way that you do these cinematic matches and the question is can they do an entire show with that can they pull that off or is it just going to be kind of like contained in its own little like miniverse i would love to see something like that because i think it's just like again we all know pro wrestling's predetermined so why not embrace that steer into the skid and I think this COVID-19 pandemic has made people realize, hey, like we can do different things. We can be outlandish and come up with these crazy little gimmicks like a stadium stampede 
or a Firefly Funhouse match, a Boneyard match. There's a place for it. Why not embrace the different side of pro wrestling? At least it's my opinion, and I'll talk about that a lot more. Cajun Strong Style Podcast is going to be debuting this Monday at 1 o'clock Central Time. So make sure you check it out. We'll have it up on 1037thegame.com. All your Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, maybe even Spotify. We'll see. We'll try and pull all of this off. So make sure you listen in for a great 18-minute conversation with Mike Quackenbush and a whole lot of other of my thoughts when it comes to the sport of professional wrestling. And right now, take a quick timeout. We're going to take the hot tag to hour number two. And we're going to go back into the Wayback Machine for a minute. And then we're going to have a lot more fun to start off hour two. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and welcome everyone hour number two of two of under the dome with cd getting underway kick-starting your saturday Hopefully you're getting your weekend started off right however you're doing so. Grilling and chilling, or maybe you're just practicing safe social distancing. Make sure you enjoy yourself. It's a celebration of a great weekend. Hopefully sports can be back in our lives sooner rather than later. But of course, we're coming to you live, as always, from the Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Without a doubt. And of course... You can listen to us however you can, be it through the FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Yeah, we can listen to us through there, the free mobile app. And trust me, I think a lot of people are listening through the free mobile app across this great country of ours. And even in America's hat, when we're talking about Canada, I saw this pop up because I usually have a little clock up here and also shows where people are streaming i've got a listener in niagara falls in the great state great city of toronto ontario canada hopefully maybe bread the hitman hearts listening i don't know how this whole thing goes but hopefully you're listening in and enjoying a great saturday morning of sports talk and towards the end of hour one we were talking me and Kara richie we were discussing the finer aspects of how things have been in this pandemic for not only her, but also in the radio aspect. Because, again, we've got a lot of what-ifs and hypotheticals that can fill the time. I've done my fave five. I'll get to that in a little bit. But we mentioned the Cardinals classics they've been doing and talking about the Jack Buck go crazy folks. And thankfully, you know, we've got an archive of, like, sound, and it's an archive chock full of different things. And hearing, hearing her talk about the Jack Buck clip makes me think of one thing in particular. But first, 
Let's play these clips back to back. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Oh, boy. I haven't heard. I, we haven't played that in a while. We, I just wanted to break it out just for that instance to where I can just have a lot of fun and laugh at the moment whenever Ben Love and Chet Yoder. I think that was the, like, the last dance for Chet Yoder doing the Karen Crow, like football games. If I'm not mistaken, that was Karen Crow Katiana. You had him uh, sawed off. I'm going to play the full clip, actually, because it's it's even better if you hear the full clip because it, it really is the epitome of, I know Matt Moscona has called it, shut up color guy. And if you haven't heard this in a while, here it is. 3.1 seconds to go. Randall takes it in the gun. A blitz on the left side. It's picked up well by Kendarius. Randall rolls. He wants it all. Four. He's got a man. It's a touchdown. Oh and Darius Poulard wins the game. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Karen Crow with the last second 36-yard touchdown. I do not believe it. I do not believe it. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. I cannot believe, like, Chet Yoder. Just went all out and did the whole Jim Hawthorne gimmick, like running over Ben, like having probably again. I, this may be personal bias because because Ben's like one of my like good friends and I've been glad to work with him for over five years. And the fact that you had Chet Yoder, who I and I'm going to bring this up in a little bit, but the fact that I heard Ben Love have probably one of my favorite calls of all time because that was such a great call of a great moment in like character football just a football moment period and it just was ruined by Chet Yoder and his I do not believe it his old gimmick like dude let the co- let the play by play guy talk and then jump in there's a point there's a time and place for that save it for later and it would have made it for even more of a fantastic call but you know that's Chet Yoder for you just saying you know, he's my boy. I, I like him. We, we, we still talk every now and again, which is amazing in and of itself. After all this time of, like, him now being in Shreveport, doing a little blackjack dealing, which I have to about imagine. I need to get in touch with him and try and get him on the show because I, I, that's one thing that I'm was really interested in is how casinos have are having to kind of do things now that, like, you know, they're able to open up and they're able to kind of be at 25% capacity. I've seen some of the blackjack tables in Vegas. Are they doing that in Shreveport? There's a lot of different questions when it comes to how things have been since the pandemic kind of, like, has allowed things to be open a little bit more. It's a real question, and I'm wondering what's going to happen. But we'll get well, that'll be a thing down the road. But also, I wanted to bring this up is, like, because an hour later on, an hour number two, eleven thirty, we're gonna have on Jeff Horchak, the former host of Horchak's Huddle, which used to be on Saturday mornings, and then also we had on him, uh, and I'm gonna have him on eleven thirty. So it's gonna be the the producer of that show is now the host, kind of sorta, and I'm looking forward just to be talking about all, just talking about like the late Mike Bowerop, but also it's a whole lot of fun. I think this is gonna be a very fun and very kind of loose conversation for us. We haven't talked in a while, and, hope, and you know, in fact, like, I texted him. He's like, Clint, is this Clint? Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. He, I mean, even without not really, really realizing who I was, probably got a new phone. It's like, that's the one thing I've always noticed, is like after a while, people get new phones, and it's basically like, it's not in their context per se, but like, he could have just like texted me or something, because we haven't, we haven't talked in a while, but I'm absolutely looking forward to having him on, to talk a lot of to talk about a lot of different things, but hopefully you're listening in and enjoying 
this Saturday morning. And we got a great like lineup after I'm done because we've got the Astros Classics. This is going to be a game from, I believe, a couple years ago is pull us up right now is Lance McCullers from 2005. I believe it was I'm trying to remember where this was. I know they're okay. So, to, so what's coming up after us is going to be what Lance McCullers throwing a one run complete game in his fourth start at Minute Maid Park. This is back from June 3rd, 2015. And then May 17th, 1963, we'll be airing that on Sunday at one o'clock. Don Notbart hurls the first no-hitter in franchise history over Philadelphia at Colt Stadium. So, again, I talked about it earlier with Kara. We're airing games from all the way back in 1963, back when they were the Colt 45s, well before banging on a trash can was a thing. That was way before Doug wrote the song about banging on a trash can. But hopefully I you're going to be listening into all that and a whole lot more. But, of course, after that Astros game is done at 3 o'clock, straight up 3 o'clock, you can listen in to recrowning the champion, and we're recrowning the SEC champion, LSU Tigers. You're going to rehear that right here at 3 o'clock, a special 30-minute pregame show, followed by the rebroadcasting of the game. I'd highly recommend you go check that out. But I'm, I'm going to continue the conversation that I wanted to get into to start off hour two with... My favorite five Cajuns baseball players. Last weekend I did my Cajuns football players. Now we get to my personal favorite sport of baseball and go with Cajuns baseball players of all time. And I just was running through the list in my head. And there's, spoiler alert, there's a lot of pitchers. But also there's a lot of great players that I think belong in that list. And I'm going to start off with number five. I brought him up in my dream lineup. I brought up, I think, a lot of these guys in my dream lineup. One I didn't bring up and I regretted it. And that was Andy Grow, and that's I'm going to bring him up later. Number five, though, is Brad Saloom, a guy who I remember seeing like when I was in middle school slash high school, and he absolutely crushed the cover off the ball a lot. He was probably one of my favorite players from like my middle school, high school years, and I absolutely enjoyed seeing him just crush it at will. And I think without a doubt, he's number five on that list because of all the memories that I have of watching him. Just I, and I remember one game, I think he had – like two home runs and and I think one extra base hit as well. He had probably one of the best games I've seen a Cajun have from strictly the plate standpoint. He, he, he had the ability to crush the baseball. Number four, I'm going to go old school, Ron Guidry. How can we not bring him up in conversation? And it's not because I didn't, I never saw him play, but I've met him several times. I mean, Jeff Horchak, we're going to bring him back up here. I we actually had a, like a long form convo with him on the air. He filled in for Ben Love, and just the conversation they had. Ron Guidry was just such a great guy, and I've always been able to like I can remember going to see him at like some of the Cajuns games back in the Gap, like for the fan days and stuff, and seeing him getting autographs and just a really really good guy in general. And I remember seeing when they retired his jersey. I gotta say, Ron Guidry, he's number four on that list. And again, it's mainly because of the fact I didn't see him play. But I have nothing but respect for the man. Number three, I got to, man, number three, I got to go with Andy Grow. This is a guy I regret not bringing up. But again, when you want to come up with like your weekend rotation, your dream weekend rotation using only Cajun players, 
it's kind of tough not to include Gunnar Leje, Austin Robichaux, and obviously Ron, Gid- Ron Gidry, Gunnar Leje, and Austin Robichaux. It's pretty hard not to put those in there. Andy Grove deserves a lot, a lot of love, and he put he's in number three on my list. He is absolutely a fantastic player on the field. He was I can remember him having that moment in like a non-conference game in a midweek game that helped him get better and help them get to the College World Series. Having that kind of experience, it's absolutely huge, and nothing but respect for what he was able to do. Number two on the list, I'm going to break out. A more recent, I think these other two are going to be more recent because I have nothing but respect for these guys. Number two is without a doubt, I got to bring up Gunnar Leje. Just a great guy in general. Have talked to him several times, and I can tell you right now, I wish nothing but the best for that kid down the road. I Be it in baseball or what he does life after baseball. He's got great potential. He's got He's got that grit, and I like him a lot for that. I mean, dude, was an absolute beast as a freshman. Sophomore, he was still good. Had that injury, missed a year, came back, still was injured, kind of had to kind of to go into the bullpen as a closer. And seeing him, like, in his, very much in his collegiate career and getting the closing duties, throwing the last strikeout in his last game at Teague Field and being there for that, I loved it, and it was ap- it was just great all the way around. He is up there in my list, and I'd say he is number two on my fave five Cajuns of all time in terms of baseball. Number one, I'm going to go 1A, 1B. I'm cheating here, but there's a reason why, and I think you'll know where I'm going here. Whenever we talk about Cajuns and we talk about Cajun greats in baseball, we got to include Tony Robichaux, and he's in there. He's my 1A. So because of the fact it's – we can talk about Cajun baseball players, but you can't talk Cajun baseball without talking about Tony Robichaux. And you all know my thoughts on Tony Robichaux and how much I respect him and how much I, I think we all miss him to this day. But I'm also going to jump around and go with 1B. And I got to go with Blake Trahan. Just a really nice kid. Never, never, I never really talked to him, but I can say without a doubt, he's probably one of the coolest guys to be around and nothing but respect for Blake Trahan, and hopefully he has some success down the road as well. I like it. I've always liked that 2014 team and the 2000 team are very much intertwined in my mind. That's why a lot of them kind of they overlap each other in this sense. He's 2014 team was so close to making it to the College World Series, and that was just six years ago. 2000 team they made it to the College World Series. The iconic slide moment. That was 20 years ago. I want to try and get some of those guys on down the road. That's a that's a goal for this show this month is to try and book like the big guests. And that is booking like former Cajun players from that 2000 College World Series team. That is a goal. But I'm looking forward to just seeing what's going to happen with baseball going forward and what's going to happen with, these, with this Cajuns team. And the big what if is... What would have happened if the season continued? Because they were starting to turn it around a little bit. They were starting to kind of work this system and work in a certain way. And we very well could have seen the Raging Cajuns make it into the road to, road to Omaha. Could they have been a regional host? I don't necessarily think so. 
because like a lot of the damage already been done to like the repu the I'm trying to think of the word right now. Just their standing. You know, the standing was hurt a lot by some of those early season struggles. And yeah, they played a damn good team in Virginia Tech and interviewing John Sheff earlier in the year was an absolute highlight of mine. I, I think there's a lot of different things that we can say right here, right now. Hopefully we can see the Cajuns kind of get better in 2021 and really take that momentum and try and build upon it. Hopefully we can see that down the road, but of course that's a different conversation for a different day, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll talk, we'll stick to the baseball time and go to the pro ranks because without a doubt, everybody's talking about how much complaining and whining there's is, and you know, who would have thought, you know, Tom Hanks says, no, there's no crying in baseball. Well, apparently there is, there's crying and complaining. And I'm going to talk about it next right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now, back to the famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday morning slash afternoon and however you're doing so of course maybe you're grilling and chilling maybe you're out and about maybe get some fishing in make sure you turn it down or maybe you have some bluetooth headphones in that way that way you can at least not scare away all the fishes with my voice that's just how it's gonna go but of course we're we talked about it earlier with carol richard just briefly about major league baseball and what I'm considering to be a civil war of sorts. And why am I calling it a civil war? Well, because of the fact that you have the MLBPA and the owners kind of start setting up shop. And, you know, whenever it comes down to it, what's going to what is it going to take to bring these two together at an agreement? To agree to play, let's say, Fourth of July weekend. That's ideally when I personally would love to see the MLB start their season this year. Because if you start it later than that, you are going to be screwed when it comes to the World Series. You're going to have to play it in a building with a dome. You're going to have to go play it somewhere else in a neutral site. Because, spoiler alert, if it's the Yankees and the Dodgers, let's go with the two extremes here, Yankees-Dodgers in the World Series, like everybody wants it to be, you have a problem. It's snowing like hell in November. You're not going to play all seven games in Los Angeles. You had to go play at a neutral site somewhere to try and make sure everybody's happy. A lot of different questions going on. What is the drop date, drop dead date for a decision to start the season? There really is none, but I think if you want to get this set up, you know, spring training needs to begin by June 10th. And obviously, you need to hurry up and get this thing done. The MLB and the MLBPA are in a like Mexican standoff angle right now at this point in time. If we're going to go wrestling style, where they're just standing there and they both aren't budging. And a lot of that has to do with one person, Scott Boris, being the puppet master. He is the master of the puppets that are the MLB players, telling them, 
and getting into their heads to tell them how to handle this business. Yeah, guys, like Trevor Bauer. Nothing but respect for Trevor. I'm calling him Trevor in this situation. Other times I call him I'll call him Tyler Bauer because that's kind of what he is from time to time. But Trevor Bauer had really good points in saying, stay out of our business, you clown. Why should a why should a sports agent like Scott Boris have anything to do with the decisions that Major League Baseball players are making? He's, he's telling them all the things that they want to hear is that the MLB wants to hold down the MLBPA. It's billion-dollar owners wanting to pay you less. Here's the biggest bugaboo about all this. We are in the middle of a pandemic. And not just that, the economy's rough right now. A lot of people, I've talked about it, they've been furloughed, laid off. They're in hard-time blues. They are, they're having to live day by day and you know in some cases a lot of them are struggling to make make ends meet right now let's not let's not fool ourselves here this is a bad look right now if you're the MLB why are you complaining why are you kvetching and moaning about the fact that you know you're not getting paid enough you're not you're not getting paid nearly as much as you should be getting paid don't get me wrong you should be getting paid a good bit amount but let's look at this I saw the sliding scale uh, earlier in the week, but I'm going to make it basic for you. Let's say you get paid. Let's say a guy like a Mikey Mott took or even, you know, I'd say Andrew Stevenson, part of the Washington Nationals. RP3 had him on the other day. And those are two names that came up off top because we've had them on the programs before or very recently. So those two guys are probably getting paid, let's say, one to two million. The sliding scale they're getting paid probably about like $963,000. Like they're not getting that much cut off. But guys like a Garrett Cole, a Justin Verlander, an Alex Bregman, amongst other guys across this great league of ours, they're getting paid around, I'm going to use $36 million. They're still getting paid at least $10 million. There's no reason why they should be complaining. I get it. You don't want to go to salary cap. Fine. But here's the thing. You swallow the bitter pill this year. That way, whatever 2021 comes around, you're back to normal. And I'd say even bump it back. Run back some of that money. You know, I, here's what I would do. If I were in control of baseball and I'd be in control of these negotiations, I'd be like, hey, guys, so here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do a sliding pay scale. And whatever we aren't paying you in 2020 will load onto the back end of your contract and we'll have some obligations to where we have to pay you that money at that time. It's like, let's say, you know, guys like Garrett Cole who just got paid his deal, who just started his deal this year. We're going to put that at the end of your pay, pay period, your pay scale. You know, put that end at the last year of your contract. That way you can be happy and still make money. Well, We'll bump it over to the back end. I think that might be the best case scenario to say, hey, we'll bump it back and then we'll run back everything else down the road. Or we'll sprinkle it in throughout the rest of your contract. In the case of guys who have, or towards the end of their contract or in the middle of theirs, in the case of probably an Alex Bregman or a George Springer, somewhere along those lines, these guys have to get paid and have to make money. And at the same time, like, these guys are complaining about millions and millions of dollars. Well, guys, 
like Joe and Jane, Astros fan, Cardinals fan, Yankees fan, they're having a hard time making ends meet. You know, it, it just feels like we're hearing them complain and it's going one ear out the other and you're absolutely hating the fact that they're saying that they're complaining because you've got a way worse off. A lot of people have a way worse off because of the fact they don't have money coming in. They don't have this, these dollars coming in as opposed to guys who have made a lot of money over the years, who have saved that money, who have, who have things under control, at least from a financial stability standpoint for at least a little while. Why is there a big complaint about that? That's what I really want to know. Like 100% why, why you are upset about the fact that instead of getting paid $36 million, let's just use that number again. And now you're getting paid maybe 10 million. Why are you complaining about that? Whenever you got people in a pandemic who can't, who are losing money, who are, who are struggling to make ends meet right now. That's, Really where my like biggest complaint about all this is. And if the season doesn't happen, I guarantee you, I, I say it right here, right now, May 30th, 2020, if a season doesn't happen, in 10 years, the MLB dies. 2030, the MLB is done. The MLB will be over. And you know why? You know why the history books will say it? Because of a bunch of crybabies in the MLB who didn't want to swallow the bitter pill and decided to walk away. Who decided to just say, hey, we're going to walk away from this and because we want to make the amount of money we were, we were entitled to. Guess what? I don't care about what you want. It's about, you know, you work, you to a certain extent work for the fan. And if you don't have any fans, in the stands, be it in a pan- post-pandemic world or in the future whenever fans are allowed in. I guarantee you fans will not come back in droves to watch the MLB if this season does not happen. So MLB players, get your stuff together. Bottom line. Got to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with Jeff Horchek. Now we're going to have a little bit of a lighter conversation, a lot of fun, but again, MLB players, get your stuff together. I could say something else, but I'm not going to because, well, I'd probably get in big trouble for it. Back after this on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live, as always, from the game studios. Hopefully, you're enjoying yourself on this Saturday afternoon. At least it's almost afternoon, so hopefully you're enjoying it. And right now, we go to the game hotline to talk with a guy who you've heard on Acadiana Sports Station many a time. He used to be on KLFY, and nowadays, he's applying his trade over in the great city of Fun Row, Louisiana, KNOE, the evening news anchor. I'm sure he's enjoying the fact he's not up early in the morning as part of Pospot 2 
or meet your neighbor. Now he's out there in KNOE, and that is our guy, Jeff Horchak. Papa H, how you doing? Hey, Clint, how are you, man? It's always good to talk to you. How's life treating you? Life's been good, you know. Again, we talked about it off-air, is the fact that, obviously, with no sports, it's it's a little bit of a struggle, but luckily we're able to kind of get through it. It looks like now we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in a good way, and sports are slowly but surely going to come back. The NBA possibly going to allow their season to start back up. So hopefully we can see things kind of start getting back to at least some form of normalcy. Maybe not the normal that we're used to, but at least a new normal that we can enjoy. Yeah, for sure. I know uh, me included being a big sports fan, definitely looking forward to seeing some live sports here soon. Uh, it's been it's been challenging, but, you know, these are these are challenging times we live in. A lot, lot going on in the world that's, you know, priority-wise a lot more important than sports. But I know sports is such a good way to uh, escape from the world and enjoy. We, we enjoy sports. We enjoy the competition. We enjoy rooting for our teams and, being, and looking forward to uh, planning to go to games or watch them on television. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be great to have uh, sports back whenever we get it full force back and everybody's really excited. I think we'll, we'll probably appreciate the games even more because we're not having it for, for several months, you know? Exactly. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And, you know, one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on is because of the fact a local Lafayette icon, I would say, in Mike Barra passed away on Thursday. And you mentioned the fact he hired you back in 2007. And I want to kind of look back at the life that was Mike Barra from your perspective. You know, what was it like kind of like working with him? Well, I'll tell you, he did. He hired me in 2007 at KLFY. And I come from Alexandria and I was hired as the weekend sports anchor to work with George Faust. And he was always, uh, you know, the thing I remember most about Mr. Barra was he um, he was a through-and-through Acadiana guy. He was, you know, raised in, in St. Martinville, and he started to work at KLF Y when he was pretty young as a photographer, and then he worked his way up into sales and eventually became the GM. And he worked at KLF Y over 50 years, which is, you know, unheard of to stay at one place of business for that long. But, uh he uh, he loved KLFY. He loved Acadiana. He did a lot of charity work with Jerry Lewis Telethon. He'd always head that up and kind of host that every year. And for many years, it was broadcast live from a local hotel, and they would use all the talent. You know, we'd dress up in tuxedos and dresses, and and we would go out there and, and host it and have guests. And he was very involved with that, raising a lot of money for charity. Um, but he was a, he was a people person. He really took care of his employees. I remember he to this day he is the only boss or manager that I've ever worked for that every year for my birthday, he'd have a birthday card saying, happy birthday, Jeff, at my desk. And he'd do that for all his employees. And I just thought that was really, really neat because it, it showed you he was locked into his people. He had their back. He was very loyal. Um, he, We had a reporter that was doing a story, I remember, um, and he was doing a, a story on like an obstacle course for law enforcement. He was actually participating in the uh, obstacle course, and in the process of shooting the story, he broke his ankle. It was a pretty bad break, so I had to rush to the hospital. And when he found out Mr. Barra had passed on Thursday, he posted on Facebook the story, and then he said, you know, when I was rushed to the hospital for breaking my ankle during the story, Mr. Barra was the only person that actually showed up to the hospital to check on me make sure I was okay. So that's, that's another example of showing you how he was he was locked into his employees and his people, and he took care of his people, and he had a big heart, and he checked on him. And he really was a good guy. He was a, he was a legend. There's no question. I mean, the fact that he was he was an anchor there at one point, you know, with different shows, the news show, and then he he did sales. He was the GM. He was. I mean, he he knew every aspect of television because he had worked it. And uh, 
he was he was not a corporate guy. You know, it, it's you don't have a lot of those people around anymore, and that's why I think Dave's so special. But he loved Acadiana, and he he will be missed. He was he was a legend for sure. You brought up the MDA telethon. I think without a doubt that was kind of almost like a passion project for him. How much did you notice, like how important that was to him to have that thing on Labor Day weekend and the way that he like put forth like all the effort? I felt like he put that into the MDA telethon. Yeah, that was one of his one of his one of the pride and joys for him, you know. And, and he, uh, you know, he got to know a lot of the, the kids and guests that they would bring on that had muscular dystrophy, that he would, he would get to know him on a personal basis. And, and, yeah, I mean, he just he had a big heart. You know, many times I remember when he would be hosting that, those shows at telethons and he would break down on the air, and that was real. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, staged or for TV. It was real emotion. He, was, he had a big, big heart. You know, and you could see that at certain points in his life. Uh, and that was I, – I remember he, he would he would always – usually do that toward the end when they would get the final uh, check for how much money had been raised. And uh, – you know, he just—I I just like I said—I I, he, he really cared about people, and he was very locked into his employees and people that he worked with, and um, he was a people person. And uh, it, you don't see that a lot in these day in this day and age, especially in those positions, and even you know because of these huge conglomerates and corporations, you're just a number. He doesn't really know who you are. He, he knew people by their name, and he kept track of them, and he kept took care of them. He was—I think most people that worked for him would say that he was probably one of the most loyal people you could ever work under and um and that that means a lot because when you know that your 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 management your bosses have your back that that i think that allows you to perform better in your job and uh i think that's why caleb Y was been such a dominant uh station for so many years there in the kdna without a doubt talk right now with jeff horchak part of knoe and let's lighten it up a little bit you've been at knoe for about a year right yeah, June tenth will be a year coming up on a year exactly. So yeah, you've been there for a year. You were at KLF Y for way longer than that. Obviously, two thousand seven till yeah, middle middle years last I was at twelve years, and you wound up kind of just wearing a lot of hats over there. Start off as a sports reporter, then eventually moved on to the morning show, and that's what I want to get to next. How much have you enjoyed the fact you're not having to wake up at like three or four o'clock in the morning to get ready for Paspa two? Now having to kind of like have a little bit more of the night shift. Yeah, it's been different. You know, um, the morning shift was a transition for sure because when I was doing sports, when I got hired there as a weekend sports anchor reporter and I was reporting sports during the week, I was working, you know, more of a day shift and you come in in the morning sometimes, but not super early. Uh, and then that, that morning shift was an adjustment. It took me about a year to get my body acclimated to having to get up at, you know, 2.45 in the morning and be on the air from 4.37 in the morning. It took a while, but eventually I was able to kind of get used to it. And then, uh, but, you know, your sleep patterns change a lot. It's hard to get six, seven, eight hours consecutive sleep when you work that shift, and that was something that started to catch up to me over a while because I need my sleep. And uh, But, you know, it's nice to be able to get the more sleep now. But, you know, the morning shows were fun because you had a lot of elements in them. And, you know, I, I had a good crew I worked with. I really got along well with my employees and uh, coworkers, and we had, we had a lot of fun and we had a lot of – interesting segments and because we were able to do a lot with a two and a half hour morning show you have a lot of time to do interviews and segments and it's, it's fun you get to show your personality your energy and, uh, but uh yeah it's, it's been nice to get more sleep evenings are different you work evenings it's more straight news and you don't have as much interaction like you do on a morning show but it's been good for me it's you know i'm just able to kind of see what my strengths and weaknesses are and, and my versatility and that's kind of what you know uh 
in this business, you got to be versatile. You got to be able to do a lot of different things. And I've, I've been able to survive by doing that. And I just try to learn and, and get better every day and uh, work on my weaknesses and uh, continue to, you know, stay strong in the things that I am. And it's been, it's been education. But you're, you know, as well, being in radio for the amount of time you've been in that, the more you can do, the, the more job security you have. Exactly. No doubt in my mind. I, that's a statement I think we can all wholeheartedly agree with, be it in our field, in the media, or in any other field outside of outside of these four walls that we're in right now. Talk right now with Jeff Horchak, KNOE, and obviously you've spent some time in Lafayette Monroe. I want to do a little compare-contrast just for some fun before I let you go. And let's start off, obviously, with the big one, food. Which is better, Louisiana or Monroe? Actually, what university is better? No, no, which food? Food, Louisiana, Lafayette or oh, Monroe? Food. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even a comparison. I mean, obviously, Indiana, the food, I mean, better. I mean, it's just got more spice, culture down there, more variety. So, yeah, the food, I mean, Indiana went that in. Better people, Lafayette or Monroe? Well, the people are different. You know, it's, it's hard to say better people. I mean, they're, they're different. The people... The people in, in, in northeast Louisiana obviously it's a different culture totally, you know, and uh they're 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 not they're more rural and country, although you got country folk in Indiana, but the culture is totally different. So I don't know if I'd say people are better in certain spots, it's just they're different. And uh you got good people up here, you got great people down in Indiana, so it, it you know, they're they're just different. They're not I don't know if I'd say one's better than the other. So it's like, like in terms of the, in terms of the culture, like would you say like which all right let's let's bring that up. Which culture do you think is better, Lafayette or Monroe? Well, I think you have more culture in Acadiana for sure. I mean, that's out, there's more culture. You have you have than you have up here. Um, so it's it's a different it's a different element as far as the culture, you know. Um, and you look at Louisiana, really, it's it's all broken up like that. I mean, Shreveport is totally different than Monroe, and then you look at Lafayette and Acadiana, and you look at Baton Rouge and New Orleans and, and Lake Charles. I mean, the state is broken up really into I mean, central Louisiana, Alexandria. It's broken up into about five or six different regions, and they're all different. You know, I've lived in all. I've lived in Alexandria. I've lived in Hammond, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Lafayette, of course, for twelve years, and now up here in Monroe. So. You look at all the areas, and I've been to Lake Charles and Shreveport, they're all different. And Louisiana is very different uh, in all the different regions. But that's what makes Louisiana a great state is that I think you have a little bit of everything here. You know, I'd agree with that wholeheartedly, Jeff. And obviously, looking back to your sports life, and obviously now it's a little bit different now that you're doing more of the hard news, but better Friday night football atmosphere, the Acadian area or in Monroe? Well, I say that's a tough one because I mean, up here in Monroe, they've got some great, great high school programs. Uh, your, your West Monroe, phenomenal facilities, uh, tremendous backing um, and history. You look at Neville High School, huge program, also a lot of tradition, winning tradition. Um, and you've got some of your smaller communities like Ravel, which has got a really good program, and then Bastrop, you know, for years was dominant. They've gone up and down. Um, so, and then Lafayette has got all kind of great programs. So, I mean, they're there, I'd say both of these regions have great high school football programs and, and, and even some basketball, too. Um, just depends on what you're looking at. But they both are pretty, uh, in their own way, they've had a lot of success and you got a lot of, I would say, elite programs, you know, that are consistently in the running for state championships and, and turning out players to Division One schools and even onto the pro ranks. So um, both areas have, have really good prep programs. 
And, and Jeff, you know, one of the big things that we've been talking about all throughout the show is the rumor and innuendo about a Conference USA Sunbelt Conference merger. Obviously, we heard the thoughts on from a, the LaTeX AD earlier this week, thanks to your y'all sportscaster, Anna Jane Howell. She crushed it on that interview, by the way. But I will say yeah. this. Do you think we could see a merger of those two conferences, or was this like basically the LaTeX AD saying that this thing isn't happening? Well, I know it's interesting. Uh, I know that ULM as well as the, the Raven Cajuns are obviously wanting to, to move up into the bigger conferences at some point. Um, and being there in Lafayette area, obviously they've been talking about that for a while. But And then now with COVID-19 and the economic situation, that's a big question. I mean, I, you know, I, I hadn't thought about that, making some the Sun Belt or allowing the Sun Belt to kind of merge with Conference USA, which would become like a – I guess in some ways kind of a super conference if that would ever ultimately happen. You have a lot more schools in there. But the question is how many schools would actually be invited in and, you know, how, how that's going to work. It didn't sound like from what Tommy McClellan, the AD at, at Louisiana Tech, said that that's going to happen. That's just talk being thrown out there from, you know, certain schools. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think from a regional aspect, obviously travel is a big issue now because of money. And it'd be much easier to travel within the state and the region. And with Congressman saying you got schools all over the country, and even even the Sun Belt for that matter. Um, and I think scheduling is going to be the key. I, I'm not necessarily sure that you have to have schools necessarily jump conferences. Just maybe when you when it comes to your non-conference schedule, you obviously look to schedule more schools in your state and in your region to cut down on the travel. And I think that's something that's also been discussed. So there's a lot going out there. What's the reality of that actually happen? Uh, you know, I, that may just be stuff just being talked about and thrown out, but nothing real concrete at this point. You know, was the LaTeX AD being petty when he called the Cajuns Lafayette? I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I know there's a, there's a, there's a. I think one of the things about up here is that Louisiana Tech obviously looks at themselves as being better than you know Monroe. They have that. You know they're up there above them because they're in a bigger conference, and even though they're not necessarily a bigger school, and they've had a lot of success in sports, especially football. You know during the Skip Holt there, and um, is he being petty? I don't know. I mean, I think he's you know he he, he could have he, he whatever he called them was probably going to be incorrect unless he said Louisiana. He wasn't going to do that, so um, he called them ULL. People would go nuts. You know, so I don't know. I mean, that whole the whole name thing to me is still a bunch of baloney. I mean, it, it to me it's just. And it's petty stuff, you know. That's mean. I know in Lafayette it's the hot topic with certain people. There's a small group of people that continue to make an issue of it. And the Cajuns are always, anytime they play LSU, it's a big deal because, but, you know, to me it's it's a moot point. I mean, as long as you're in the Sunbelt Conference, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to get the respect that you really want when it comes to your name. That's just my take. That's my, been my take all along. If you want to, if you're going to get respect, and you want to go by a certain name, you may have to switch conferences. And I know that's what they're trying to do, but there's a lot of things that play into that. You know, a lot of politics, and you also got to be able to sell your facilities out and keep your. You got to be able to bring certain numbers in. You know, as far as fans, you, you know that we've had that discussion a million yep. times when it comes to switching conferences. You got to be able to support your stadiums, and you got to be able to pack them if you're going to join a bigger conference. And if you can't prove you can do that, you know, schools are not going to. Want to bring you in? I mean, look at Appalachian State. Why were they? They jumped into the Sun Belt and they hit the ground running. And they haven't stopped since then. But they they fill their facilities, especially for football. You know, exactly. And they win. Yeah, 
Exactly. And one more before I get you out of here. How's, how's Trooper? Trooper's doing fantastic, man. He's, he's doing good. He's got a little skin issue right now. I think with the change of the seasons and the, the, the weather, it's getting hot. And you know how dogs with their skin. But he's doing good, man. He's uh, We go on our little jog in the morning and uh, enjoy the sunshine today. It's beautiful here. And uh, he's doing good, man. Trooper's uh, he, he's a very versatile dog, man. And as long as he's with me and I'm giving him his snacks and we're getting out doing our runs, he's good to go, man. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We need to we need to do this a lot more often, not just for talking Mike Barra, but just talking about life in general. Because I think this was just a fun conversation. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know my number, Clint. Anytime you want to chat, man, just give me a heads up. We'll do. It. I love talking with you, and uh, you enjoy the rest of your weekend, my friend. Oh, you too, man. You take it easy. That was Jeff Horchak. You can follow him on Twitter. The, the man himself, Horchak seventy seven. He's even got the blue check mark. I need to ask him how I can get in on that action. Get in on the whole conversation about having a blue check mark on the Twitter because I, I, I've been on that platform for like 11 years. I deserve a uh, blue check mark. Just saying. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout wrap of the show. Next, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. And we got one final take, and it kind of harkens back to something I talked about at the beginning of the program, and that is about the Super Conferences and more importantly, promotion and relegation, like in the world of soccer. I say embrace. American sports need to embrace promotion and relegation. Come up with a construct to have that. And I think in the case of, like, let's say, NBA, MLB, they have a setup to where they could probably do that. Just kind of put it all together, mash it all up, and make sure you can do it right. I think you can do it in the MLB. I think you can do it definitely in the NBA. They already have the G League, so they've got a setup perfect to where they can make this all work out. And I think that might be the best way to go about sports going forward. Not and not even in a post COVID nineteen context. I think in a world where you can have the best teams and it kind of punishes tanking and brings you down to the lower levels until you want to prove yourself. I think that might be the best case scenario and the best of both worlds. Honestly, I love the idea. And I'm getting out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday, everybody. A double feature, if you will, a matinee of Astros baseball and Astros classic from 2015 coming up in mere moments and then recrowning the champion at straight up three o'clock. You've been listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game, 1037 thegamecom I'm out. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.